Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Here we are at midweek. Thank you for joining us. Coming up on the program today, we are a step closer, hopefully, to E15 sales being available this summer. Uh, the proposed rule moving to the Office of Management and Budget. We're going to talk about that with the president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper, will be joining us on the program today. What does he think? Of, what does he know about uh, what's in that proposed rule, and what does he think of it? And what about the timetable for getting this done? Can they actually get this done by June 1? We'll get his thoughts on that. Also joining us today will be Grain and Oilseeds Analyst for Rabo Agra Finance. Steve Nicholson will join us and we'll look more closely at the China situation as we are hopeful that maybe a deal will be concluded later this month. A lot still to get done and a lot can still happen, but I want to look at it from both sides. What is China going to be wanting in this deal and what should our expectations be of market reaction and possible sales to China? Uh, we'll get his uh, thoughts on that coming up a little bit later on. And also today we have some action in the dairy industry concerning India and uh, trade there. We're going to talk with Shauna Morris, who is the uh, Vice President for Trade Policy for the U.S. Dairy Export Council. So that's all going to be coming up here on the program today. So we have a lot of ground that uh, we want to cover. Meanwhile, in the news, uh, kind of a surprise in that uh, FDA commissioner, Scott Gottlieb, has announced that he will resign next month. That has caught a lot of people totally by surprise, and uh, it will be interesting to see because there, what happens now, there's some things pending with um, labeling of dairy products when it comes to imitation products out there using the words dairy and milk so the dairy industry is going to be watching that very closely and um, we're also going to be watching uh, how this might impact moving forward on the oversight of cell-based products uh, lab meats and things like that so we will be watching that closely as well so um, that could have a lot of implications with that surprise announcement. So we'll keep a close watch on that. Uh, that caught, as I said, that caught a lot of people by surprise, and we'll see what that might mean for those two particular issues as uh, we move forward, because FDA very heavily involved with that. All right, as we check some other news, of course, uh, very closely watching the China situation, as, as we mentioned, and whether or not we uh, can get that deal done maybe even this month meanwhile the commerce department's final trade report for last year uh, is coming out today it is expected to show a record high u.s goods trade deficit with china of more than 400 billion dollars now that's being based on the the data through november showing the deficit at uh, about 382.2 billion dollars that's up over the previous record for all of 2017. So there's going to be a lot of talk about that, and there's a lot of buzz in the news right now about our deficit going higher and uh, putting even more pressure to get some kind of a deal done. It's um, 
Not sure, of course, whether a new deal would restore U.S. ag exports to the levels they were before all this happened, but uh, that is certainly uh, the hope. U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer and EU Trade Commissioners uh, Commissioner is set to meet in uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, today, looking for perhaps some way forward in negotiations between the U.S. and the European Union. And, uh, boy, that one seems like a really tough lift because there's so much uh, baggage there and whether or not agriculture is really going to be involved in those talks or not. Uh, remains to be seen. So we'll keep an eye on that. Meanwhile, where are we going with Japan? And are we going to get anything done there? And what about some form of a TPP? Boy, there's a lot happening on trade right now. So we're going to keep a close watch on that and can you continue to watch that closely as we see um, so much when it comes to the ag economy for this coming year, really based on what may or may not get done with trade, so we'll keep uh, keep you up to date on that. Again, those talks between the U.S. and EU expected to come today. Commerce Department data expected to show um, you know more about the the deficit and the trade gaps that are out there. We will be looking more at those numbers as well, and whether or not that puts any pressure on the administration to get something done as far as these trade deals are concerned. Um, officials are still assessing the storm damage to Alabama and Georgia. The president saying he will head to Alabama this week and survey some of the areas hit by that tornado. And Alabama and Georgia's ag department still surveying damage there to farm operations. And uh, we'll probably be getting some numbers from them uh, before long. In Alabama, a poultry hatchery took a direct hit, expected to be a total loss. Uh, the Alabama Cattlemen's Association saying several producers have reported barns being destroyed along with lots of downed fences. So we'll be getting more information on that. Hey, joining me now is Jarrett Renshaw. He's the National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters. Jarrett, thanks for joining us. Uh, what can you tell us about this proposed E15 rule that's off to the uh, Office of Management and Budget now? Sure. Well, I think it's uh, good news after long uh a lot of uncertainty. I think the uh, EPA has put forth a rule. We haven't actually seen the actual language of the rule, but it will now go over to the, um, essentially the White House uh, Budget Office for their review and their revisions. And um, we, we anticipate that will happen. It's usually 30 to 60 days I usually take. I can't imagine it's going to take that long. I think um, you'll see this come back pretty quickly. Um, and, um, and if that's the case, I think uh, we, we could get something done by June 1st. Um, you know, just, but uh, right now the clock's kind of ticking. We, we, we won't actually see the language until the, the official language of the rules published. So I still think we're, we're, we're still maybe a few weeks from actually seeing that. We're going to get ethanol reaction in a moment from Jeff Cooper, but what are you hearing from the oil industry? What do they think of it? You know, I, I'm hearing a lot of angst over the, um, the RIN trading reform. Specifically, there's a provision that says they cannot carry more than 120% of their obligation. Um, so integrated refiners like Exxon, Chevron, who, um, who, who tend to ha- hold a lot of wins, um, don't particularly like that provision. And uh, so I think we're going to see a very um, uh, unified and loud uh, opposition to that particular part of the rule. And I guess the, the larger question is, 
does that does that opposition um, impair the ability for the, the full role, which includes your fifteen to move forward? So, as we as we talk, Mike, we always find ourselves talking about being back in the courts and things like that. I think we're, we're going to land back there pretty soon. Yep, headed to the courts, I would imagine. All right, Jarrett, thanks for being with us. Thanks for the update. Thank you. Oh, no problem. I can leave it. Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets reporter for Reuters. What does the ethanol industry think about the proposed E15 rule and its chances of being in place by this summer? We'll talk with Jeff Cooper with the RFA next here on AOA. We're live on the red carpet, waiting for the next generation Creden soybean. There he is. Oh, Ed, look, it's Creden's Liberty Link GT27. I know, Edna. He's got elite genetics. You gotta love his four bushel per acre yield advantage. And he's both Liberty and glyphosate herbicide tolerant. Definitely the year's hottest performer. Ask your Creden's retailer about the new Creden's Liberty Link GT27 soybeans. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, joining us now is the president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper. Let's talk about the E15 proposed rule. Jeff, thanks for being with us. I guess we're we're a step closer to summer sales of E15, but still a ways to go. Yeah, we still have a long ways to go, Mike. Uh, but we did see EPA finally take that first step in what we expect will be a 100-yard a dash. I mean, they've get, they've, they need to get this done quickly. Um, but they did take that first step of finally submitting the proposed rule that would allow year-round E15, uh, but also includes RIN reform. Uh, they submitted that package to the White House Office of Management and Budget on Monday, and that, that uh, is really the first official step in the rulemaking process. So the fact that RIN reform is in there, does that make it harder to get done then? Well, we sure think it will. Uh, we know that the RIN reform measures that uh, are included in this proposal, even though nobody's really had a chance to look at it yet, uh, we know they're going to be controversial. We know the oil industry is divided on, on what they uh, want to see out of any RIN reform-type package. Uh, the larger, more integrated uh, oil companies uh, don't really want EPA to do anything with the RIN program, and they think it's working okay and and anything that would potentially constrain or reduce liquidity is something that they don't want to see. It's something we don't want to see. Uh, but we also know there's a, small, a smaller group, of a uh, more vocal group of, of merchant refiners that's really pushing hard on the rent reform piece. Uh, and, and we do. We believe that's going to bog this, this whole thing down. It's going to make it tough to get done by June 1st, and that's why we've been advocating really since January to split these two things into two separate actions, um, let the oil guys duke it out on REN reform, and, and, and darn it, let's move forward with RVP and get that done before the summer driving season. Okay, I'm trying not to be pessimistic here, but <laughs> if EPA really wanted to get this done by June 1st, wouldn't they have gone ahead and submitted a rule without the REN reform to make it easier to get it done by then? Well, it, you know, again, we scratch our head uh, as to why they are insisting on, on jamming these two pieces into one rule when they're not related. Um, you know, the REN reform piece has nothing to do with E15 and RVP. Um, we don't see any reason why uh, we need to try to, to weigh the RVP 
uh, rule down with with unrelated provisions that that really you know there's no no deadline or or no urgency to 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 do anything with rent reform. Whereas with E15, there is clearly urgency. Uh, the president, you know, in Iowa last October promised that this is going to be done by summer. Um, so his own EPA is is potentially putting that at risk, putting that promise at risk um, by insisting uh, that these two things have to be done together. It, it's going to be an incredibly heavy lift uh, to get this rule out, um, even though it's it's finally moving. I mean, we're just 86 days away from the beginning of the summer driving season, and that would be you know, record speed for EPA to get a rulemaking like this done. Yeah, even on a fast track, this would be this would be almost unprecedented to get something like this done this quickly. Uh, so, boy, it's hard to handicap it. I mean, it, this is a big step, but it sure seems like it's it's going to be tough to get it done by then. Uh, I guess, you know, could it yep. could it be June thirtieth or July fifteenth or something like that? But I mean, at that point, you've kind of lost a good chunk. If it goes too late in the summer, you lost a big part of the advantage of getting it done for this year. That's right. And, and in fact, um, if it if it gets done, you know, the last week of May or on June first, that's yeah. probably still too late to to really affect um, a, a change in the marketplace this summer. Uh, when we talk to retailers and, and marketers, and especially the guys further upstream at the terminals, they're making decisions about what fuels they're going to offer, you know, 30 days out. So if they don't have some signal from EPA, from the administration, by the beginning of May, um, you know, they're already going to begin to take the steps to, to change over uh, their fuel mix, and, and, you know, they'll probably sit out another summer with e, on E15 and, and wait till next year. So... Yeah, in fact, Growmark, uh, you know, who who holds positions at a number of terminals in the Midwest, uh, announced a, a couple weeks ago they are expanding their uh, terminal offerings of E15, which is great news. But in that same release, they said, but if we don't have a signal that it's going to be okay to sell E15 through the summer, uh, we're going to stop offering it on April 30th. So, I mean, that, that just speaks to the urgency and, and the time that is needed for the supply chain uh, to make these decisions make these plans and and they're looking for certainty so we're we're really urging uh epa and the administration to get this rule done quickly and send a signal to the marketplace as soon as possible uh, about the timeline uh, that they're operating on for this rulemaking well we just talked with uh, Jarrett renshaw with reuters about uh, the mm-hmm. you know the possibility or the likelihood of uh, this being challenged in court there's that's another aspect of this do we know that if there is a legal challenge and we expect that there probably will be one uh, then the question is uh, is there a stay is it allowed to the rule would be allowed to go ahead and take effect while it's being challenged in court or does it get stopped right then do we know how that might play out well, it's it's hard to handicap that, Mike, uh, today. But you know, we, we do think that it would be very unlikely that a court would stay um, approval of year-round E15 and, and prevent retailers from selling E15 in the summer. Uh, and really, the reason for that is, that, you know, a, a judge can't issue a, a stay uh, or an injunction of any sort unless the party requesting that injunction can demonstrate that they are going to be irreparable irreparably harmed um, if this rulemaking is, is allowed to be implemented. I think it's going to be really hard for anybody who would challenge this rulemaking to show irreparable harm as a consequence of, of simply 
you know, uh, providing an RVP waiver to E15. So we, we don't think there's a whole lot of risk uh, to this being stayed by a, a judge. Uh, we are, you know, almost certain that it's going to be challenged, and, and we will have uh, a legal battle to contend with, but it's our hope and, and our expectation that E15 will continue to be, will be allowed to be sold uh, while that uh, legal battle is playing out. But it does still add yet another layer of uncertainty to the whole issue, though, doesn't it? It absolutely does. I mean, I, we've seen it with so many other cases. When when things are tied up in the courts, um, you know, it creates another level of uncertainty, and and it, and it keeps uh, people on the sidelines that otherwise would be very interested and very excited about level blends to their customers. Uh, but when you've got you know court challenges and 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 politics and all these other things, kind of these clouds kind of hanging over the marketplace, uh, it really is a deterrent uh, that is, you know, just uh, uh, incredibly disappointing. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, uh, on the subject of trade, and we're hopeful to get something done with China that could be really good news for the ethanol industry, too, as far as exports. But even with all the trade problems and uncertainty of last year, it was another big year for ethanol exports. It absolutely was, and, and this is a timely discussion, Mike, because just today, just this morning, uh, U.S. government uh, released its final uh, export volumes, export data for December of 2018. So we now have the full calendar year picture for 2018, and, and we did indeed see record ethanol exports. 1.71 billion gallons of ethanol uh, were exported to more than 80 countries around the world last year. Um, that is uh, a new record by far. It's up about 25 percent, or, or you know, more than 300 million gallons from the previous record, which had been set in 2017. So we do continue to see um, great opportunity and, and growth in the export market, even in the face of the trade barriers that we're facing with China, uh, with Brazil, with Peru, and, and other countries around the globe. To set a record in a year with all those trade issues that have been going on, uh, that says a lot about the, the demand worldwide for ethanol. It, it really does, and I think it, it underscores and, and really highlights the value of the product. And, and I think it really speaks to the fact um, that it isn't just you know, U.S. consumers and, and drivers that are, that are looking for lower-cost fuel and, and higher-octane fuel. It's drivers around the world, and, and refiners and gasoline blenders around the world are seeing the value um, of ethanol for its octane content, uh, for its uh, ability to reduce carbon emissions and help them comply with, with policies and regulations in their own countries. So you're right. I mean, I, I think in the absence of the trade barriers that we have in place, uh, you know, exports would have be, been even greater. But I think the fact that, you know, more than one out of every 10 gallons we produced last year was exported, even with significant barriers in place, uh, is really a great story and speaks to the competitiveness and the value of, of the product we're making. Yeah, it shows how far the industry has come. It's now a global marketplace for That's our right. ethanol. Jeff, thank you very much. Good to talk with you. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Take care. Jeff Cooper, President, CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Up next, we talk trade, especially with China, with Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Rabo Agra. Finance. Stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
Powerful. Effective. Proven. Tough. Consistent. Reliable. A lot of adjectives can describe a herbicide's weed control, but one only applies to Liberty Herbicide. Superior. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Hopefully we're getting close to a deal with China. The time will tell. And we know these things are not done until they're done. But what should we be looking at here? And what should we be thinking about as far as what China's going to want out of all of this? Let's talk with Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oilseeds Analyst for Rabo Agrofinance. Steve, good to talk with you again. Uh, it's kind of... We want to kind of pump the brakes that there's not a deal done yet, but it sounds like we're getting closer. We talk a lot about what we hope to get out of it. Um, I guess we don't think a lot about what China is going to want to get out of it. Uh, what should we be thinking about there? Yeah, good morning, Mike. Um, it's a great question, and I think, you know, China, in, and this is a bit of a, I'm looking at this from a negotiation point of view. You know, the Chinese obviously want to get, you know, back on the sense where they can have full if you have as a buyer of, of agricultural products or food, however you want to say it, you know they want to make sure they have a full breadth of uh, of sellers that they can you know buy from, and that being the United States. Um, there's a little part of me, and I this may sound a little conspiratorial, but at the same time, you know they would you know they really don't want to get into the into the whole intellectual property, copyright, trademark. You know that's a that's a much more difficult topic, um, and it also you know it hampers their strategy is a you know in their business strategy has been to, you know, try to, and, and I'm going to say it, steal technology or, you know, gain technology maybe differently than we have here in the United States. I mean, that's a more diplomatic way to put it. And so I think, you know, they would like, you know, that issue not to be brought up or try to, you know, deal with that in a, a much more softer way than, you know, our USTR, Robert Lighthizer, is doing. Um, but, you know, he's he's been following this issue for over 30 years, and, you know, this is an issue that, you know, not only is an issue to the United States, it's an issue, you know, to Europe um, and an issue that needs to be addressed. And I think there's a little part, if you get the agricultural issue, um, you know, dealt with and it doesn't have to happen tomorrow for them, um, then it sort of it diverts attention away from the, you know, the really more important issue. Your agriculture is just sort of a pawn in this and got, you know, sort of drug into it. So I think those are the yeah. two things that I'd be watching for very carefully. And I, I'm not trying to pour water cold water on something we don't even have yet but uh right. it's going to i think we're going to have to be careful if and when that announcement comes that we're going to have to look at the words that are said and what actually happens because it's going to be spun as a major victory and we're going to get the you know a lot of great things in in a deal the question is going to be do we in agriculture do we get enough to make up for what we've lost i mean is, are the are the buys going to be even above what they were to the point we're going to make up or are we just going to get back to where we were or uh you know what what's going to be said it's going to be spun as a victory whenever it happens but what will the actual results be that'll be the question so and i think and i don't i don't think that's you know i understand the comment of spilling cold water or putting pouring cold water but i think you have to be realistic i think it's a very realistic i think you you make a very realistic uh, point and a very realistic attitude about it. You know, this is, yes, it's going to be looked at immediately as a victory for agriculture and and, 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 and sold that way. Um, and, you know, and there's no question agriculture would like to see the win. 
but I, I think you're absolutely correct is what are the details? And as we know, both from this administration and from the Chinese promises in the past and, and even currently, you know, the details are pretty slim. Um, we had talked, um, I would just, just as a, a shameless commercial, but our, our, our uh, Leif Chang, who is our, my colleague in Shanghai, um, did a podcast this, past, this week and talking about, uh, talking about this. And from his perspective, I think one of the interesting things, there, you know, a lot of the things that he was saying are things that we've talked, you and I have talked about before and the stuff that we see in the ag press. But the one thing that was interesting to me was he said that, you know, this deal is probably, you know, a 2021, 22 type deal. This isn't going to happen overnight. And so, you know, this, these, these buys, you know, are going to get strung out, you know, another three, you know, another three years. So it's not all going to happen, you know, in the next six months. And, you know, markets react accordingly. So this is, I think that's a, a very valid point that we have to make sure what are, how are, what T's are crossed and what I's are dotted when this is all said and done. Because this could yeah, drug that, out and the impact of the market, Pete, could be a lot more muted than what, you know, what people would like to see. That's a good point. The timetable that it will be set, that will be something to watch. We're talking with Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Robo Agra Finance. All right, so Steve, given that, um, Let's talk about what, what do you think the market reaction will be? Does a lot of it get, as we get closer, and it sounds like it's going to happen, do they, is it already kind of figured in, or is there a big bump right off the bat, or is it more of a, a, a kind of a muted response? Uh, how do you see that happening? My view is we get kind of a bump right off the top, and then that, that bump gets uh, shaved off pretty fast just because the fundamentals on beans are so strong. Are so are so bearish. But the other thing to think about, and, and I, this is something we did some looking at when we looked at bean prices. You know, bean prices have been trading forty to sixty cents above where they should be based on the fundamentals alone, not taking the tariffs into account. So that would that would give me a little pause to think that again that you know is it possible we could have a muted reaction because of fundamentals? Absolutely. But I do think the market. I don't know that the markets. Which tells me, and I let me back up because we are praying at such a premium that it tells me the market is sort of hoping and praying that this thing gets done fast. And so some of this is already built in. But as we've seen in the past, we see you know even you know trade talks happening, the market reacts pretty positive to that. So there's probably a 30, 30 to forty cent pop in the market right off the bat. But it's going to be quick lived and quick lived. So I think you have to be prepared for that. I think the other markets, and this was the interesting discussion with with my colleague Leaf was. Talking, you know, I'm not sure that corn is a big deal in this um, because the U.S., you know, China's not taking a lot of corn. You know, he thinks that more corn will probably be taken. But he also talks about both DDGs and soy and, um, and wheat. You know, that China has wanted to be self-sufficient in wheat because it's a, it's a food of green or food grain. How do you want to look at that? And so I think there's some potential in the wheat market there, something we have to watch. The other is DDGs. You know, they do... You know, they have changed those rations, and DDGs were an important part of those rations. Um, and I think that's where there's some potential, and also that goes hand-in-hand hand with ethanol. You know, that goal of being, you know, E10 uh, by 2020 is still there. It probably is not going to happen. I mean, that says you've got to get all the ethanol in the world to them by, you know, next year. Yeah, so you're right. We focus so much on soybeans that we sometimes we uh, overlook the fact it could have as big, if not a, a bigger impact, at least right off the get-go, uh, a deal with China on uh, some other 
uh, commodities like wheat and uh, ethanol and ethanol products. We're talking with Steve Nicholson with Bravo AgriFinance. Uh, so, Steve, we wait for that news on China. Uh, meanwhile, when do you think the markets, uh, when do traders start looking at our weather here? I mean, it's still early, but I mean, does the weather pattern and how long it might take to get to some of these fields start getting the attention of the markets here before long? Yeah, no, I think that's right. I, my guess is it's the, the market's not going to pay attention with it too much until we get in, until we get the acreage plan, you know, perspective plan report here at the end of the month. Once we get that, then the market, I think, will start to focus on weather because that way, you know, you're looking at weather, you know, you're seeing plane already as you go to Texas and in the, in the Delta area, Louisiana type area, and that down there as well, and some particularly Louisiana. But I think once they get that acreage number behind, then they'll start to focus on weather. Okay, Steve, you just dropped out on us. We've lost you here for a moment. I think your cell phone cut out. On it. We'll keep trying to reconnect you here. We're talking with Steve Nicholson with Rabo AgriFinance. So, yeah, uh, already some planting has already started. So, uh, And we know that the market, I think, is now kind of just used to, hey, uh, we know it can get done in a short period of time. So there doesn't seem to probably be the big uh, urgency or concern in the markets, at least not for quite a while yet. No, hopefully I'm back on. So I moved yeah. two spots. Hopefully you can hear me. There yeah, we go. Um, yes, go ahead. Okay, good. So I apologize. But yeah, I think, you know, once we get past the acreage numbers at the end of March, we will start to see the market focus on the weather. But as you will know, sitting in Illinois and, and across the Corn Belt, it's, it's been a cold, it's been a wet winter, um, and it's going to be a wet spring. And I think farmers have gotten really concerned about, you know, getting everything done that has to be done this spring because of the very wet conditions. And I think that's a real possibility and may provide some marketing opportunities to producers that they may not have right now. So I would be very, as a producer, and having to market corn and soybeans and wheat for that matter, uh, be very conscious of that and be ready to pull that trigger when you get when that opportunity opportunity arises. And, you know, maybe put that opportunity in now. Get those orders in so that you're there when it happens versus trying to chase it once it gets there. Yeah, you have uh, you've been consistent with that. Uh, keep reminding yep. folks: be ready to take advantage of market opportunities. Uh, I think there's a maybe a, a thought that oh, we'll just wait to see that China deal, and that's going to make this big huge yeah. boom, and that's when I'll jump in. Got to be careful yeah. with that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Do not get complacent. Or, or you know, it's the old adage. I think there was an old you know one of the old you know don't it's the hope and pray. And it's like you know that's really we all got to hope and pray. There's no question about that, but. You know, it's also let's be practical about this and let's get ahead of this and, and get those orders in. I, you know, as a longtime, you know, commodity buyer for food companies, you know, we would get our orders in early and have them in place when, you know, where we wanted them. So that because we knew that there are times that we get, you know, we all get distracted. And if we get distracted, we might lose those opportunities. Do it, you know, put them in order. And, and as I always, I sort of joke with people, I said, yeah, your merchandiser might laugh at you, but you know what? That's, you know, he's also looking at that and going, that's probably a pretty smart thing to do as well, because he's doing the same thing. If he's got places he wants to put orders in, he's going to get them in and get them in place and be ready to go. So I absolutely, absolutely think you need to do that. All right. As always, Steve, thanks for the perspective. We'll talk yep. again soon. Good to talk to you. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Well, the administration has decided to end the preferential trade status granted to India on dairy products. We're going to talk with the U.S. Dairy Export Council about that next here on Adams on Agriculture.
We're live on the red carpet, waiting for the next generation Creden soybean. There he is. Oh, Ed, look, it's Creden's Liberty Link GT27. I know, Adna. He's got elite genetics. You gotta love his four bushel per acre yield advantage. And he's both Liberty and glyphosate herbicide tolerant. Definitely the year's hottest performer. Ask your Credenz retailer about the new Credenz Liberty Link GT27 soybeans. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, the administration has decided to terminate the preferential trade status granted to India because of its failure to provide equitable and reasonable access to its market and comply with other provisions of the statute as required. How does this impact the dairy industry? Let's talk about it with Shauna Morris, who is uh, Vice President, Trade Policy for the U.S. Dairy Export Council. Shauna, thanks for joining us. Uh, tell us uh, about this uh, about this decision by the administration and how the dairy industry feels about it. Oh, thanks for having me, Mike. Um, well, we're very happy with the administration's decision to move forward with this approach. Uh, access to the Indian market and the fact that we're not able to ship our dairy products there has been a significant trade irritant, uh, dating all the way back to 2003. Uh, so the U.S. has clear- clearly been quite patient with India over the years. All during that time period, India has been able to benefit from a unilateral program, the generalized system of preferences that the U.S. has in place that gives them the right to ship a number of products duty-free into our market. Uh, But that wasn't a free ride. Congress mandated that there be certain obligations countries adhere to in order to get those benefits, uh, namely one of the ones that you mentioned earlier, providing equitable and reasonable access to their own market And in our view, we feel that India certainly has not met that bar. It's why we filed a petition urging USTR to review their GSP status in 2017, and we're active as USTR considered that question last year as well. So we're quite pleased with the message this sends to India about the need to honor its commitments, as well as to other trading partners, about how seriously the U.S. is going to take these sorts of issues. What kind of market is India for U.S. dairy? It's one of the biggest dairy markets in the world, actually, uh, but at this stage, quite highly sheltered. Uh, With that said, we've had a lot of interest and appetite from our exporters over the years in trying to get into that market, particularly to tap into the growing demand for dairy among India's middle class. We've estimated the potential for it could be anywhere from 30 to $100 million a year uh, as our industry is able to regain access and grow demand over time. All right. So what is India saying about this? I mean, what was their reason for uh, uh, their practices? Were they blaming us for something or what was going on here? Yeah. So India's stance is that they have certain requirements uh, for dairy products that they enforce via a certificate, a paperwork that needs to come along with the exported products. And one of those requirements relates to the type of feed that cows are allowed to consume. Uh, The challenge we've had with that is that the requirement India has in place for what kind of feed is acceptable uh, is not science-based. It doesn't impact the food safety of the products that we would be shipping. 
uh, and doesn't comport with U.S. existing requirements for what farmers can feed their cows here in the U.S. So that sets up a really difficult problem that we haven't been able to figure out how to thread the needle on in terms of meeting that requirement. Uh, and from India's side, they've largely stuck to insisting that it's simply something that has to be adhered to. To try to find a way forward, the U.S. has actually proposed multiple solutions over the years, again, dating all the way back to 2003, uh, to try to figure out a more creative approach to dealing with that requirement. But to date, none of those have been accepted. So as you say, the, the dairy industry supports the administration's move on this, but where does that leave us with India as far as uh, being able to sell dairy products into that market? Is, are, are they going to uh, turn elsewhere, or are we going to lose that market, or what do you see happening now? Yeah, so in terms of our access to the Indian market, what the decision by the administration does this week doesn't alter that at all. We're, we're shut out of that market uh, for all intents and purposes right now, and so we can't lose access that we don't have. Uh, rather, uh, we hope that what this is likely to drive is a reconsideration by India of how it's dealing with these issues. This action by the administration doesn't take effect immediately. Uh, it's a 60-day notice about the intent to revoke these unilateral trade benefits from India uh, two months from now. That certainly gives India ample time to make the changes it needs to address the concerns the U.S. has identified. Uh, and it knows very well what those are. The U.S. has been talking with India about these issues for quite some time. And hopefully this action kind of gets their attention and makes them realize we're serious about it. That's exactly our hope, and, and we think the administration is, is absolutely right to go down this path. We're talking with Shauna Morris, Vice President Trade Policy for the U.S. Dairy Export Council. Shauna, I know you, like everyone else in agriculture, watching closely uh, what's going on with China. There's a lot at stake there with a potential trade deal coming up. We talk a lot about soybeans and also corn and wheat and and DDGs, uh, what could a trade deal uh, mean uh, with China for the U.S. dairy industry? And are we is there much being said about dairy in all these talks? We haven't heard much about it. Thanks for that question. You're right. China is very much top of mind for farmers and, and dairy exporters, uh, given the challenges we've had in that market, like so many others in ag uh, over the last several months. Yes, dairy is part of the discussions. Uh, it's a strong priority for us, and we know that uh, we certainly hope that it's part of the ultimate solution that is able to come out of this. Uh, I think first and foremost, what our folks are concerned about are the retaliatory tariffs that have been imposed on virtually all U.S. dairy exports to China since last summer. That's certainly what we hear the most concern about. In addition to that, there's some other non-tariff issues that we've brought to the administration's attention and urge them to be working on uh, together with China that we certainly would view as resolvable issues as well. Yeah, there's those those tariffs that are in place have really uh, have hurt several sectors of agriculture, but uh, the dairy industry being one of them, right? Do did you, did you know how much it's hurt? Absolutely. Um, I don't have the figures on hand to quantify at the end of the year uh, what our final uh, stats look like. I know that cheese exports, for instance, from when they when the tariffs took effect, uh, really nosedived, uh, dropped 
at least in half by the end of last year compared to what it looked like we were going to, to ship to China prior to that action being put in place. And other sectors have taken a hit as well. Uh, it's been a problem for our whey exporters and a number of others. A lot of ground to make up for sure, and hopefully we'll be getting uh, uh, on that path before long if they get this trade deal worked out. Shauna, thank you for the trade update. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Shauna Morris, Vice President Trade Policy for the U.S. Dairy Export Council. We wrap it up for today. Thanks for joining us tomorrow. We'll take a look at the sorghum industry and their priorities for the coming year, plus much more right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Have a great day, everyone. 